Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Tom Hawks grew up east of Los Angeles on a ranch in Chino, California. Growing up, the family took their boat to Catalina, and it's where his love of boating began. Tom married and had two sons. After his divorce, he moved to Prescott, Arizona, where he worked as a deputy probation officer. Tom was tall, handsome, with a mustache and short, dark hair. He was a fitness buff, a bodybuilder, who worked out an hour and a half every day and had the biceps to show for it. Nearby, Jackie grew up in Ohio and after high school moved to Arizona. In 1985, she and her husband were riding his motorcycle when a car pulled out and hit them. Jackie's husband was killed, and she barely survived. Later, she met Tom and fell in love with him and his sons, and they got married in 1989. Meanwhile, in nearby Huntington Beach, John Jacobson Jr. had a tough childhood. His parents divorced when he was five, the Los Angeles Times reported that growing up, his father wasn't the best role model. He was a business owner and manager, but then turned to dealing drugs. And when John Jr. was 10 years old, he did 18 months in prison. John was named after his dad. He was charismatic, good at charming people, had boundless energy, practiced martial arts, and served. But he wasn't great at academics and compensated by forging the grades on his report card. He also took acting classes and in the early 1990s landed a non-speaking part on two episodes of the Power Rangers. After high school, he joined the Marines. It was 1999, but things didn't go well. After just 15 months, he went AWOL and was dishonorably discharged. John loved the water and bought a 26-foot cabin cruiser. He changed his name to Skylar DeLeon and married Jennifer, a hairdresser. The couple had a baby and lived in a suite in the garage at her parents' home. Skylar always had big plans, like a business cleaning boat hauls or buying a boat and doing charters, but he never carried through with any of it. In 2002, he landed a job at a mortgage firm but not satisfied with a regular paycheck, he joined two of his co-workers in burglarizing the home of another co-worker. He was carrying a loaded gun when he was caught and was sentenced to a year in jail and three years probation. He was allowed to serve his time in a work release program at the Beach City Jail, a unique correctional facility where non-violent inmates paid to serve their time rather than do hard time at the Orange County Jail, and they are permitted to hold a day job and return to the prison each night. The OC Register described how at the jail he met Alonzo McCain, 
who at 20 years old worked as a jailer. He was five years younger than Skylar and admired his quick-talking, charismatic ways. Soon, Alonzo was doing Skylar favors. Skylar worked as an electrician's helper and met Myron Gardner. Myron had a criminal record for involuntary manslaughter and at 41 years old had just gotten out of prison for robbery. Myron introduced Skylar to 40-year-old John F. Kennedy, known on the streets as CJ, which stood for Crazy John. At the jail, Skylar met another inmate by the name of John Peter Jarvie, whose nickname was JP. He was a jeweler maker and was serving time for counterfeiting. In December, when he was released, he had plans to sell his van and refinance his home to raise $50,000, and Skylar found out about it. On December 27, 2003, Skylar left the jail in the morning as usual, but instead of going to work, he traveled to Mexico and met up with JP. He stole his money under false pretenses of a business deal, then slashed his throat from ear to ear. Skylar returned to California, deposited $21,000 in his bank account, bought his wife a $2,200 wedding ring, and took his cabin cruiser to a boat company for repairs. He plunked down $18,000 in cash on the counter and said he would pay the remaining $7,500 later. That night, he returned to the jail past curfew, and Alonzo let him in. But when the work was completed on his boat, Skylar decided he wasn't going to pay the remainder of the bill. He went to the shop on a Sunday, when it was closed, cut the lock, and took his boat. Skylar was charged with grand theft. Tom and Jackie were a couple in love who enjoyed spending time together. They worked hard, invested in real estate, and did well for themselves. They planned to retire early, buy a boat, and travel around Mexico. In preparation, they attended boat shows and did plenty of research. In October of 2000, they found the boat of their dreams. The well-deserved was a 55-foot yacht with two bedrooms, two bathrooms, a galley kitchen, and two decks. Tom spent months equipping the boat for long trips, upgraded the electronics, and added a generator and desalination system so they could be at sea for months at a time. In the summer of 2001, Tom retired, and the couple sold their home and moved on to the boat, which was moored in Newport Harbor along the California coast. In October 2002, they set out on their adventure of a lifetime. They cruised down the Baja coast, around Cabo San Lucas, and out into the Sea of Cortez. Tom got his captain's license, and for the next year and a half, the couple enjoyed the sea. Their hair turned gray, their skin tanned, and their smiles were broad. They kept in constant contact with their family, phoning and emailing them, telling them about their adventures. But then, life changed. The couple had been married 17 years, Tom was now 57, and Jackie 47. And their first grandchild had just been born, 
and they wanted to return to living on land. Maintaining a boat that size was a lot of work and costly, so they decided to sell it and downsize. They sailed the well-deserved back to Newport Harbor for the last time in June 2004. The couple were used to doing things themselves to save money and didn't use a broker to sell their boat. In October, they advertised it for sale for $440,000 in a boating magazine. Skylar answered their ad. A month later in November, Skylar took a test ride on Tom and Jackie's yacht. At first, they wondered how someone so young could afford it. He was only 25. But he put them at ease, telling them he had been a child actor and invested his money in real estate. Then he brought his wife to see the boat. She was pregnant with her second child. This family man who had been around boats seemed to be the kind of person they were hoping to sell to. But Skylar had no intention of actually paying for the boat. At first he thought of just stealing it, but then it would be reported to police. So he devised a plan to force Tom and Jackie to sign it over, get rid of them, and pillage their bank accounts. Skyler contacted Alonzo and promised him several million dollars if he would help murder the couple. On November 6th, the two met Tom and Jackie and went for a test ride on the boat with a plan to murder them and take the boat. But Tom was still working out and was physically bigger than they expected, so they aborted their plan. Skylar then recruited CJ. He would be their muscle. Then he approached Adam Rorig, a man he'd worked with, and asked him to dispose of the bodies. Adam declined. Then he asked him if he knew a notary that would backdate documents, and Adam provided the name of Kay Harris. Skylar met with his dad and told him of his plan and showed him the stun guns he'd bought to carry it out. John didn't tell a soul. Anne didn't contact police. On November 15th, Skylar, Alonso, and CJ arranged to meet Tom and Jackie for a final test run on the boat. Skylar told them that he wanted to swim below and check out the underside. Tom called Carter Ford, the port captain at the yacht club, and told him about the sale. Carter liked Tom and Jackie. He found them unpretentious in a world of wealthy yacht owners. Tom told him it was a nice kid buying the boat, and he wanted to show him how to operate everything. It was a sunny California day, almost 80 degrees and 4 to 5 knot winds. Tom and Jackie drove to the marina in their Honda CRV. Skylar introduced CJ as his accountant. Just before sunset, Tom and Jackie steered their yacht away from Newport Harbor and headed towards Catalina Island. At 4.07 p.m., Tom's cell phone was turned off, and Jackie used hers to make a quick call to Carter. When he didn't answer, she left a message were out at sea and turned off her phone. The men had armed themselves with stun guns 
and the plan was for Skylar and CJ to take care of Tom, and Alonzo would handle Jackie. ABC News reported that Alonzo was in the kitchen talking to Jackie when he noticed CJ had Tom in a headlock. He took that as his cue, and he went after Jackie. He grabbed her. She fought back and bit him, but he managed to get a handcuff on her. The three men forced the couple to sign over ownership of the well-deserved. Skylar told them repeatedly that if they cooperated, they would be let go. Next was the unmistakable screech of duct tape as it was ripped off its roll. They taped Tom's and Jackie's eyes and mouth shut and placed them on the bed with their hands handcuffed behind them. Jackie's hands were shaking uncontrollably. Alonzo stayed with them while Skylar ransacked the boat, looking for money and an anchor. After a few hours, the tape loosened on their mouths, and Alonzo could hear Jackie saying, She didn't want to die. She wanted to live to see her grandson. Tom reached out with his handcuffed hand, touched her, and told her everything was going to be okay. Skylar managed to find a few thousand dollars in cash and a video camera, but more importantly, he found the boat's 60-pound anchor. The couple were stood up and made to walk upstairs and onto the outer deck. Tom wasn't giving up. He kicked Skylar in the groin. CJ responded with a fist to his head. They used rope and handcuffs to secure Tom and Jackie to the anchor and threw it overboard. The fear and adrenaline that must have raced through their veins as a split-second realization set in. The chain went taut. Tom and Jackie were jerked overboard. The men turned the boat around and began the hour-long trip back to Long Harbor. A couple days later, Jennifer asked her father to buy bleach and garbage bags, and she accompanied Skylar to the yacht and scrubbed it clean. Before leaving, Tom had made plans with a friend to remove his fishing and scuba gear from the boat, but Tom never showed up. And the couple usually called their son every few days to check on their new grandson, but he hadn't heard from them. Family and friends tried to reach them via email and cell phones. A week after their disappearance, Tom's brother Jim, a former police chief, took a trip to Long Harbor to check on them at the boat. The Los Angeles Times reported that he arranged with Carter at the Yacht Club to take him out to Tom and Jackie's yacht, which was more just offshore. Carter noticed that their dinghy was tied sloppily to the dock, and the motor was still in the water, and he knew those weren't mistakes that the couple would have made. When the men boarded the well-deserved, they noticed a cover that should have been on the nautical equipment was half off, and that a porthole was open with a towel hanging out of it. They knew there was no way Tom and Jackie would have left the boat in that condition. As they disembarked, Jim left a card with his name and phone number. The next day, Jennifer called Jim and told them that her and Skylar had bought the boat. 
Nine days after their murder, Skylar and Jennifer met with Kay and handed her an envelope full of $100 bills as payment to notarize the sale of the boat and power of attorney. He instructed her to tell the police if they asked that she had met Tom and Jackie at the yacht to sign the documents and that if she didn't, Skylar had ties to the Mexican drug cartels and they would come after her. Skylar drove to Tom and Jackie's bank in Arizona. He presented the forged power of attorney and tried to access their bank account, but the bank denied him. Two days later, Skylar drove Tom and Jackie's car 70 miles south to Ensenada, Mexico and dropped it off. Then he tried to access their bank account in Mexico. The bank notified Tom and Jackie's family, who then filed a missing persons report. The next day, police visited Tom and Jackie's yacht and discovered a receipt for bleaching garbage bags. Police learned of the yacht's sale in Schuyler and interviewed him on November 29th. He told them he bought the boat for $400,000 and provided signed documents that Alonso had witnessed, and he told police that he bought the boat to launder money. I guess in his mind, he thought that was better than admitting to murder. He went on to say that after he paid Tom and Jackie, they left in their car with the money. Police asked if he'd been in their car, and he said he hadn't. Two days later, police interviewed Alonso, and he backed up Skylar's story. Then he fled to Mexico. A week later, police discovered Tom and Jackie's car in Mexico and that Skylar had driven it there. Authorities now thought that Tom and Jackie had met foul play and that Skylar was responsible, but they needed evidence. To get him in custody, they charged him with money laundering. Mexican authorities threatened to arrest Alonso, which prompted him to return to the U.S. and turn himself in. He had been promised millions by Schuyler, but had only received a few thousand dollars. On January 6, 2005, police re-interviewed Alonso. This time, he retracted his story, and authorities discovered that the purchase documents were fake. Police interviewed Kay. Initially, she backed up Skylar's story, but under repeated questioning, she cracked and admitted that she'd been paid to notarize the documents without ever meeting Tom and Jackie and that her life had been threatened if she didn't lie to police. Prosecutors dropped the charges against Skylar for money laundering and filed new charges for grand theft relating to the unpaid boat repairs. It was March 4th, three and a half months since their murders, and the arrests began. First was Skyler, Alonzo, and Myron, all charged with two counts of murder. Five days later, CJ was charged with double murder. A month later, Jennifer was charged with suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. Skyler was also charged with the 2003 murder of J.P., while waiting trial, he tried to arrange for two witnesses to be murdered, his father and his cousin. 
but the inmate he hired turned state's evidence. Kay and Adam cooperated with authorities and were not charged. Throughout their trials, the defense attorneys tried to shake Alonzo's testimony, but he didn't budge. He remained strong and credible on the witness stand. In 2006, Jennifer was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to two life terms. Two years later, in the fall of 2008, Skyler's trial began. He was tried for all three murders at the same time. His defense attorney took a unique approach. He didn't argue about his guilt. The Sacramento Bee reported that instead, in his opening argument, he stated that his client was guilty of those two murders and a third, but shouldn't be put to death. My goal is simply to save Skyler's life. Kay and Alonzo all testified against Skyler. The prosecution presented a home movie from the video camera Skyler had stolen. The jury watched Tom and Jackie celebrating with friends and family on their last trip on their beloved boat. Then the video abruptly changed to images of Skyler enjoying Thanksgiving with his family. The jury deliberated for only two hours before finding him guilty. Skyler was sentenced to death. CJ was found guilty of murder and also sentenced to death. Myron spent four years in prison waiting for his trial and in the end pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact and was sentenced to one year in jail and given credit for time served. After Alonzo testified at his co-conspirators' trials, it was his turn. In June 2009, he pled guilty to kidnapping, robbery, and manslaughter. For his cooperation and testimony, he was spared the death penalty and was sentenced to 20 years and 4 months. He will be eligible for parole in 2023. Skyler now identifies as a woman and sits on death row at San Quentin Prison in California, and one day will die by lethal injection. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Adam Strong. First 18-year-old Candace disappeared into thin air. Ten years later, it happened again when 18-year-old Rory disappeared. Then a plumber called in to unplug a drain, uncovered the unthinkable. Police knocked on the basement door and met a monster named Adam. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe. Sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.